Welcome to the Inspiring You Show. I'm Henry, and this, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. The content is light and coded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Okay, so here at Inspiring You, we get asked a lot about going for your dreams in general in life, also in career, how to handle difficult situations at work, signs of burnout, what to do when stressed, signs of gaslighting and what to do, how to also career transition and tools to support in so much more. Back on September 7th, 2021, I did a recording of a podcast series called Live and Learn with former colleague and friend Mike Hazen. Because these episodes have a ton of information so much insight and helpful tools, and also so inspiring. We will be sharing all eight episodes here on the Inspiring You show. And so in the first episode, it's how we got here. And so Mike and I really kind of take apart how we got to where we are. We are both former reality TV executive producers, and we share how we each broke into the entertainment industry, how we were two kids way back when, And we had a dream that we wanted to work in television and how our roads got us to the place where we manifested and how we then met working on the iconic NBC game show, Weakest Link. So you will hear the introduction to Live and Learn. And then it is an incredible conversation. And I'm just so proud of this series. And I just really want more people to hear it because I feel like there is so much there that could support people and inspire people as well. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and please feel free to share and message us because we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. Welcome to Live and Learn with Henry and Mike. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we are former executive producers, colleagues, and we were part of the trailblazing generation that was on the frontier of creating and solidifying reality TV as a genre. We met in our 20s, and now after many years apart, and after both successfully making a career change, we're coming back together. We have experienced a ton, and we're ready to dish, deconstruct, and unpack it all. We're going behind the scenes and pulling back the curtain to share our stories and what we've learned along the way giving you guys a glimpse of the real in reality TV and so much more. Henry, you want to talk about our topic today? Thanks, Mike. I'd love to talk about our topic today. <laughs> <laughs> Let me dive into this. Dive in. Today's topic is a continuation of the conversation from the last podcast as we dive into the underbelly of working on the NBC show called Three Wishes. Yeah, essentially, this is part two of our conversation, right? Part de. I'm studying de. French right now or trying oh, to. We, we, we. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, in case you were not with us uh, the last time, but we did some sharing of the technical and the production details of what it took to produce a pilot episode and take that pilot to series. Uh, And today we're going to go more into the personal side of the profession. Here's the thing. There's two sides to a story. And there also can be a story within a story. In fact, 
many times in both of our careers, I know we've heard this, I know I have, it was, there should really be a show about the making of the show because the drama was so thick behind the scenes. And tonight we're going to share a little bit of that with you guys. During the making of Three Wishes, both Henry and I discovered the bubble of this amazing environment we'd been living in for years. That bubble had kind of shifted into this game of Survivor, another reality show. For different reasons and circumstances, we each had to use our own street smarts to outwit, outmatch, and outplay to survive this new chapter of our career that we found ourselves in. Yes, we certainly did, Mike. It was a whole new world for us. (laughs) Understatement. (laughs) And uh, the live and learn lesson is where there is a will, there is a way to make it through something. Because for both of us, we ultimately didn't let it stop us from stepping up to the plate in our new roles as producers, or also dampen our hopes and dreams. With our street smarts, we learned to read the signs, navigate with more awareness, and pivot as we needed. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that our training wheels came off and we had officially entered the adult side of our career. Yeah, we did. Isn't that interesting to think about now, Mike, the adult side? (laughs) I mean, what was funny is because I know, you know, first of all, you always looked young, still do. Um, you. But, you know, I, I know when I met you, I thought you were like 18 years old. And when I, you know, when I first started, I was young and I know you were too, but everyone always just, I always felt like everyone was looking at me and judging me because I was so young. And I, a lot of times didn't get that respect that I deserved or felt I deserved, um, even when I got a little bit older and, um, so it was interesting to start to get a little bit more of that responsibility and um, the respect was still slow to follow in some of these instances. <laughs> I think that's something we should talk about in terms of when you look younger and how oh, that yeah. could either help you or play out in different ways than you think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Henry, uh, we always like to give a little disclaimer before we really dive in. Why don't you do that? Okay, so content in this podcast may contain information and discussions of work PTSD, mistreatment, and other traumatic situations. If you need support at any time, please call or text Mental Health America. Call 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, or 8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center or text MHA to 741-741 at the crisis text line. Okay, so- You're welcome. So Mike, you want to dive in first and um, share about the more personal side of the experiences of Three Wishes that you had? You know, so we talked last week about Three Wishes. It was a pilot to start. And that's where, you know, you and I worked on the pilot together. And that's kind of where a lot of there was definitely some some personal things happening within the pilot episode that I know you're going to share a little bit, Henry. But for me, really my personal experiences um, were kind of launched from that pilot. During that pilot um, or the pre-production of that pilot, I had made a decision to propose to my current wife and my now wife, Margaret. And um, with that, you know, I was young. Give the audience some kind of context on time. Um, How long ago was that? So that was in 2005. So um, actually... It was before that. The pilot was before that. Uh, I proposed in 2004, July of 2004. I, do you remember specifically the, the month that we shot the pilot? Because I think it might have still been in 2004. I think so. I think we were. 
Um, and so I, uh, I had made that decision that I, you know, I was in love and I wanted to get married and, um, and take that next step of into my life being 25 years old, not understanding, you know, what kind of, you know, commitment, you know, we talk about this is like your life and your time and your priorities are a, a piece of a pie. And when you're single, that entire pie can be devoted to whatever you want, right? It's all on you. Um, and you carve it up however you want to carve it up. And when you decide to have a relationship with somebody, a serious relationship, especially getting married, um, that pie now, in my opinion, becomes cut up in a big slice. And, and the way I look at it is it should be the majority should be that person, that partner that you're committing to. Um, as you're saying but, this, I'm thinking about trivial pursuit and right. little game pieces. So <laughs> yes. like how many pieces, are, I think there's six pieces. So how many pieces in that pie would you say? Uh, yeah, half, three of them, you know, never been good at math, but I think three is half of six, right? Thanks, three, um, yeah. But, but, you know. The, and then, the, so that the, means two for work and then one for like just your personal? Uh, you know, I, yeah, I think that would be, that would be fair. And, and to, to sort of take that a little step further, before, before Margaret and I were seriously dating and engaged, most, I would say all of that pie, all of those pieces were devoted to my job and specifically the producer that I was working for. So six you know? pieces of so that it whole was, pie. It was, so that person cool. was getting, that producer was getting everything of me they were getting every winking hour i i was because i was i was i wanted to succeed right i wanted to climb the ladder i wanted to be a, an executive producer one day i wanted to run shows one day i want to have my own production company one day i wanted to um you know just do all those things that i was a part of right i was helping this other person achieve their dreams and in, in learning all every step of the way that I, you know, I, at, at some point I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, grab all these tools, all these tricks of the trade, all these skills and use them in my arsenal to be able to grow and build my career and be, and be successful. So, you know, that person was really getting my hundred percent undivided attention. And then that changed, right? My, my, one of my pieces of the pie was was now you know slowly moving over to somebody else right away just from that to kind person of further that too when in terms of when you're saying all your waking hours i mean you were literally waking up getting dressed going to work and then after even work you were going out for dinners with this person and you're further like you know just talking about shows developing and it was, it was great. all encompassing i mean it, it was great fun and exciting, but interesting at the same time, like, where does that leave room for really your own personal life when it's all about that person and work, which then comes uh, to now? Well, well, Henry, that, that point of view was, is, is the point of view of a woman who has lived and learned and gone through it. Right. But I'm bump. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know any better. In fact, I thought I did know, but I thought that was what you were supposed to do. Yeah. You know, everything I had heard about the entertainment industry was, was grind, 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 long hours, you know, no time off, no vacations, just, but, but it was fun. And, and when you're young and when I was young, I, I enjoyed every second of it. It was exciting to me. There was nothing. I didn't complain about anything. I didn't complain about the long hours. I never complained about, Oh, I have Neither to work I. again. I had nothing. What am I going to do? I, I had, this is, I loved it. So, um, I totally like agree it, with that. It was exciting. 
Yeah. And so, like I said, once, once I made that decision to, to devote myself or a piece of myself to uh, another person and take away from the producer who I was, you know, essentially best friends with, I mean, going and doing, going to their, their house and going out and doing like just hanging out. We were friends. It was almost like this weird relationship where I think he felt like he he lost me right he 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 enjoyed being with me and um i brought creativity to the table i helped him um come up with you know show ideas and i helped him really be i think the best version of his creative self and we bounced that off of each other um but but the personal side really got in the way so i didn't know it at the time until i walked into his office and i i shared with him that I was getting, I, I was getting engaged that I had bought a ring and I was going to propose. And I thought that this friend of mine, also a mentor, but also a boss would be excited for me. And so I want to ask you one question. Um, yeah. so you can just set it up for me, set the scene up for me. So yeah. when you were going into his was the office at that time, was it the one upstairs one? It was no, this was the, this was oh, the um, right across from, uh, Moe's and, and Bob's next door to Bob's big boy. Oh yeah. In Burbank. Okay. I remember. Um, right? yeah. Toluca so, Lake Burbank. So, um, when you decided you were going to share the information with him, how are you feeling? Were you excited? Were you like, yes. Oh my God, I can't wait. Was he the first person like on the show that you were going to share with, share it with? Yeah, absolutely. I was excited to share it with him. I thought, you know, you know, I thought this, I would be met with a congratulations I'm so happy for you. Um, you know, way to go. What can I do? Is there anything you need? That's what I thought, right? What I got was the exact opposite. I actually got a, not the exact opposite, but what I got was, what, what, why, why are you doing that? What, why, would you, why would you do that? Why would you get married? I, you know, I was taken aback. I was like, well, shoot, why not? He's like, well, you can still have a good relationship and be in a relationship without getting married. You don't have to, you don't have to have a ring and have a ceremony. And what I, what I, you know, realized is that he, that was the kind of relationship he was in. He was with a longtime girlfriend, but he hadn't gotten married. And I also know that his, 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 on his personal side, he grew up in a, in a split household, right? So marriage to him meant something different. Um, it was not seen as a, as a positive my, me, my parents have been together. They were together at that time. They're still together. It's been 45 years, I think that they've been married together. So that's all I've known. And, um, I didn't, I just didn't know how to, I, I was confused, you know, how to react towards, towards that, that reaction. And I was almost challenged in a way of like, you know, do you think that you can still do a good job and be married? you know, and be, you know, can you be so it's like, can you be committed to this job and still be, and, and be committed to a person, another person? So after a few minutes of this sort of like being questioned, you know, we went our ways back to work, da, 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 did our thing. How did you feel when you left the office though? I just, I felt dejected, you know, how, how would, how would anyone feel who was, you know, in this position of really having a, I, what I thought was a pretty great relationship. This guy had honestly provided a lot for me. In fact, he provided me the financial stability to be able to feel comfortable and confident to, to get married and to buy a ring and to buy a house and, you know, and do these things. And I just and felt ready like for that kind of stability with another person. Exactly. You know, and I was, um, so I was really devastated by that. And 
you know, just thinking sort of, okay, well, he doesn't seem to think that this is a great idea. It never made me question what I, you know, my choice. I, I, I still was confident in, in the person that I was, you know, giving myself to and, and committing to. And did you um, also feel like in your deciding to get married, you would still confidently be able to do your job as a producer? Yeah, I certainly thought so. I, I was, I was, you know, it was something that um, I'd explained to Margaret is that, you know, look, my job takes up a lot of my time. It's a lot, it's, it's long hours and it's weekends and it's traveling and, you know, but for her, she was very supportive of it. Um, she came and traveled with me on occasion and, uh, and was just super supportive of it. And, and I will and that say was there fantastic. were, um, three producers that we worked with that were married, happily married, as well as longtime producers. And I believe one of the directors we worked with was also married and was in a good they, relationship. They came in, but they, but right, but he, they came into the production relationship already married, right? It wasn't so like- was, That was my next question to oh, you. Do yeah. you think that, that, that it, if you had already come in in the relationship married, it would have made a difference? Well, I'll tell you, it would have a hundred percent. And, but here's the reason why. Um, it would have made a, a difference because there were already been boundaries set, right? He would have already known that I'm not spending my every waking free hour with you, or I'm not available to talk to you every waking hour. I have another person in my life, right? You're sharing me already. And so, yeah, I, I think it would have been different. And, you know, all, like all those people that you mentioned, they all were already married. So who was the one guy who was available for whatever you needed? 24 uh, seven. 24, 24, seven. And again, 24/7, not, Mike, you need it. Not, I'm here. Not complaining, happy to be there. Right. And loved it. And so, highly creative. Does this producing job? Well, like, I mean, you checked a lot of box, my friend, a lot of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. If I don't say so myself. Yes. Um, so, so to, to, to push forward a little bit, we made it through the pilot. So wait, let's go through though. The um, so you had that moment where you walk, you walked to the office, felt dejected. I do remember though the pre-production in the pre-production of the pilot though, where you were having moments of, this isn't so great. You were having some inner turmoil, um, in terms of things going on. Well, we were dealing. Remember, we were all dealing with the stress of, is this thing gonna go? Are we gonna find the stories? Um all that was happening. So the producer was feeling that stress too. And I was feeling that stress as well. I was also feeling like here I am, I've committed to another person now. And now I'm having to juggle these two worlds, right? The professional world and the personal world. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got this new bride to be, and I'm, I said, I'd be home at six o'clock and now it's eight o'clock and I'm still stuck at the office. Or, you know, I said, I wasn't going to work on the weekend. We have plans. And now I got to go into the office and, and do some stuff. Do and, you feel because of the way he responded to you, do you feel like you needed to show him and prove to him that he wasn't right in what he was saying about you? So then you worked harder and longer than you already were. Yes. There was a huge, huge sense of guilt of me needing, feeling like I needed to overcompensate and prove myself. You know, he became this figure that I was constantly trying to please and seek the approval of. And I, I, I didn't care. I mean, of course I cared about everybody else in my life, but, but 
he was he had he had established himself and been able to put himself as number one. And there was no one else close, not my parents, not my wife, not my future wife, not my friends, not even myself. It was I just wanted to make this guy go. Nice job. Great job. Way to go. We did it. You did it. You, you, you know, and, and that's what I was craving. And I think um, it's challenging because when you are coming out of college and you have this dream and you get into all of a sudden the career and you're in it. And next thing you know, you find a mentor, somebody who you really look up to. And it almost is like, I feel like it, in some ways you almost had like a big brother, little brother, like scenario 100%. in terms of mentor, mentee. And then next thing you know, it's like you're getting paid. And as you get, you know, in terms of promotions, not only title with money, you start being able to afford a lot more. And it's almost like you're an umbilical cord to this person. And you are then at that beck and call, which then, like you yep. said, it kind of creates, you know, that foundation of not having boundaries with somebody or that codependency where it's all about their approval and they say jump and you're like in the air, how high? Yeah. And I think absolutely. it's really then difficult. So how was that stressful for you? Did that cause any anxiety? It caused a ton of anxiety. I mean, here I was, you know, I'd really only had the one job on the weakest link uh, before this, before I was introduced to this producer and we had been on a run now of maybe two years or so of steady employment um, in between shows when the when the shows weren't paying the bills, he was paying me out of his own pocket to stay around to stick around. Right. So most people have to go on unemployment in, you know, in between their freelance jobs. He didn't have a company at that point. He just had he had his own development deal with uh, with a studio. And so he had started to pay me out of his own pocket. And I felt like well, how, how would you feel? Someone's paying you, right? Someone's paying you to Did do- you feel indebted? Oh, 100%. I'm getting, I'm getting checks with his name on them, right? Personal checks with his name on them to put in my bank account to pay my rent, you know, to do, to do these kinds of things. And so when, and then when it came around to him starting his own, his own company, I was right there on the, on the list. Now we're talking about, he got, we, got, we got paid, right? We, got, we, we made it. We, we got the deal. And I have a, I got a contract signed and I'm getting a steady salary. I've got a health insurance. Like, of course that umbilical cord is strong. Right. And, um, so that was, wow. I just like talking about it, Henry, like, wow. Like that was strong. That was a strong reason to make me feel that way. Right. The Absolutely. emotional, the ego, the ego stroking, the, the financial, um, rewards, the, the excitement of continuing to work while, you know, we, while a show would stop and, and all of my colleagues would be like, well, we don't know where the next gig's coming from. I'd be like, quiet. Like, well, I know I'm getting a freaking personal check from this guy, you know, and, and you guys are all out of the job next week. And, you know, if another, if we get, if we sell another show, I'm right back in and I'm getting more money. And like, I don't know if you guys are going to be back on, like, it was just a very, well, it's that whole fight, flight, freeze scenario. And then also you're kind of going through it where it, your power is attached to somebody else. So there can be moments of powerlessness. Like when you just had that moment of the umbilical cord, I felt like in your stomach, like, oh, like a feeling of like anxiety in the stomach when you just kind of felt it again, that worst. powerlessness and yeah. that somebody else kind of has the control over you um, and you don't have as much you don't have control over your own situation. 
And I think when you're young, it can be, it's just, it becomes so confusing because who, also, who do you really turn to to talk to? I think we had conversations, but I don't, I mean, who am I at that point? I was going through stuff too. I didn't have the wisdom that I have now. No. I mean, you're talking to me pair to pair. So right. when you just had that moment of feeling the umbilical cord, what other feelings were you feeling? Like what happened? Like, where did you feel in your body too? Well, I just felt, a, I, I felt a lot of guilt towards my wife or my fiance or girlfriend at the time. Um, they're all the same person, by the way, just for those who just literally started listening now. Um, <laughs> uh, just, you know, trying to juggle and balance and, you know. What about the, you though? You know, I, it was hard because I, I was, I was enjoying the work. I really was enjoying the work and I was feeling, I, I, Henry, I don't think I had enough perspective to know that I was in a mess, right? All I felt was I got to keep, keep it moving, right? I got to keep this train going. I got, I got to keep the balls in the air, right? Juggling. Like I, I had to keep everything going and not thinking that, um, you know, stopping was even an option. It was like, this is just what we're doing. And I, and I, like I said, I seeing my peers struggling from show to show. It was like, well, I don't want to do that. You know, I had already been fortunate enough to be working for, for a few years straight. I don't want to, what do I do if I don't have money? In survival mode, a different kind yeah. of survivor. Yeah. Right. So I think those feelings were just, they, they were, I was too young to be aware of like, well, this isn't healthy. Like I better figure out a way to support myself here. Um, so it took a couple other instances of some drama to really push me out to go, whoa, like I better back up here and I got to make a change. And, um, and so that's what so I, then we got through, we got through the pilot of three wishes where you and I were tag teaming in terms of producing and just for the audience to know after that, I actually, because of my own, um, experiences on three wishes, the pilot, I kind of saw some signs that I decided to exit left. And I quickly found an opportunity on Biggest Loser, another NBC show. And I took that within two days of finishing the pilot. And so Mike, you then went on to make three wishes the series. Correct. So how was that? And what happened during that time? So after we successfully produced the pilot, we were picked up by NBC to create and produce seven more episodes. And I was a, I was a part of that process in the offices um, where we were developing and coming up with the shows. And which that now, is exciting, the, right? When you go from pilot to series, I mean, it's a pretty big deal because it's huge. Not all pilots actually end up going to series. Not all pilots actually end up on air. And right. so getting your shows, you know, obviously broadcasted is a big deal, bigger deal than most people realize. Well, because there's so much garbage on television, it's like, oh, anybody could have a show. And so you don't realize how hard it is. And also in, in, in television, the development part of it, there's so few moments where you can actually celebrate, where you can actually pop that bottle of champagne and go, we did it guys, because there's inevitably some other hurdle that you may or may not not even a hurdle. I would call it like a pitfall and they're like a lava, like a big lava pit that you'll inevitably like fall into, right? The pilot does, you know, you get a green light to go make a pilot. Yay. You go make the pilot, the pilot fails. Boo. Or the pilot goes, right? Yay. We go Yay. to series. 
then the pilot, right? Then you start making the episodes. That's a win. We finished the episodes. Uh oh, now the pilot, now the shows have to air in the air, and they've got to do well, right? The ratings have to be good. So then you do it, and then the ratings come in, and uh, they're shitty. So like all that amazingness that you did, it's like, pardon my language, by the way, all that amazingness that you did was it's, it's a like roller now coaster. it's yes now it's out it's like uh, when do we really get to celebrate so so going from pilot to series is really a moment where you can actually say yes we did something and 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 it's been proven and now we can actually you know enjoy but now the real hard work really does begin right is creating a series so what i had suggested because i was in this relationship um with my my wife my fiance and i didn't want to be traveling because i had already traveled for the pilot and i was on the road and that was really it was tough we were gone for i think three weeks or something like that um and i i said to my producer i said hey i would love because now at this time remember i'm now part of the company right i'm, I'm i've got a full-time gig man i'm a company man right so i said here's what i think i have a proposal for you uh i propose that I stick around and I help fuel the development, right? We're going to, you guys are going to be out. We're going to be making this, this series and we don't have another thing coming down the pipe. What happens when we're done producing that show? We're going to be in post-production and we're going to need another show to go into to keep this thing rolling, right? Which is so, smart, by the way. Well, thank you. As a 20, and again, as a 25 year old, I'm like, I was thinking in two ways, right? I was thinking, how can I build a company up, but also in a, in a selfish way, how can I not have to be away from my wife, right? How can I not have to travel and be, be gone for so many weeks at a time? I think also too, you had some insight on how to set potentially healthy boundaries in a way that you can utilize progression of the company for all. Like, cause really, I mean, if it, if that had happened, it would have been his benefit more so. Right. In terms of the development. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would have been, uh, the boundary thing I was trying, right. I was trying to set bound boundaries and I thought I was doing a pretty good job. Um, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh no, like he's going to go for this. I don't know. So in the moment I get, I'm, I'm, you know, um, I'm met with, that sounds like a good idea. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Let's go for it. Right. Dude, let's do that. So, as we get closer and closer to the series, I'm helping a little bit here and there, you know, with development for the, for the different episodes. And as we get closer and closer, we get about a week before it's time to leave, right. To, to go on the road for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And then he comes into me, into my office and he says, I need you to get on. I need you to go on the road. I, I, I we need you out there. Uh, you're a valuable part of this team. I need you. I need you out there, you know, with me every step of the way. Cause all the other producers were leapfrogging different episodes and he wanted me he wanted me, right? This is where it really gets a little strange, right? It gets a little boyfriend, girlfriend, um, ex, abusive, you know, cuts you down, but then builds you back up and then cuts you down and then builds you back up. So I felt needed, right? I already have this guilt complex of not giving him enough of my time and energy. Now he's telling me he needs me. What am I going to do? I already know, like I, the umbilical cord is there. When I say no. on you. It hasn't been cut. Exactly. So like any, what I thought, you know, good producer, good partner, whatever you wanted to call me, um, I agreed, you know, and I talked to my wife about it and I said, here's the deal. I'm, you know, it's going to be good money. I'm going to be gone. They need me out there. I'm a valuable part of this team. And, you know, who knows, maybe it's exciting, right? You'll get to visit me. You can come and visit me in the different towns and whatever. 
And just so, to let everybody know, this show went across the U.S. in different small towns, different states, and yeah. and that kind of a production, it makes it really challenging because you're basically in a new environment, I don't know, every like month or so. Whereas a lot of shows can end up being, our show in Hawaii for Average Joe, we were there in the same place for what, two or three months? Two and a half months, yeah. So it, it's a little bit different, this type of show. We were really there. It was about two and a half, maybe two weeks mm-hmm. in, in each town. It, and, uh, and there were small towns too, but, but yeah, Henry, you know, it's it a does. hard I mean, labor show in terms of production. It, for sure. So again, a week before it's like, we need you on the road. I tell my wife, we agree. We're young. We don't have kids. It's like, Hey, it's an adventure. It'll be fun. Um, you know, she was working a retail job and, you know, and she just was very supportive of it. So there's another wrinkle to this story, Henry. There's a, there's a phrase that was out there. It probably still is out there. And, uh, and, and I know you're very familiar with it too. Not, not maybe in the sense that I'm familiar with it, but it's called showmance. Oh yes. Okay. A showmance is a jokey word, but it's a real thing. It's when people who are on location or on a set end up hooking up with each other and they whatever for the period of time. And that's the end of that, right? It's like a fling. It's like a summer fling. It's like summer summer camp romance. (laughs) Summer camp. So before I was dating Margaret, in one of the in one of our average Joes, I had a brief showmance with another with a with another colleague, and I, I was young. I didn't know the phrase "you don't you s where you sleep." I didn't know those though. I didn't know I didn't know any better. I made mistakes, right? And um, it and, was your and first time too on the road on location. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, staying in a hotel and blah blah blah. Like it just you're like twenty three. I was 23 years old for crying out loud. Right. So, you know, I don't regret anything, but it was a, it was a learning experience. So anyway, fast forward to, uh, three wishes going on the road. Um, this person who I had the showman's with, which was now up, like four years or so, maybe three, three years, years later, three years, yeah. like three years later, maybe even two years later, two and a half years later, but, uh, it was about two, two and a half years later, but, uh, my 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 producer decides to hire her and put her on the road in the same cities and towns as me. Very much knowing that I am engaged, actually just married now at this point. When we went to series, I'm now just married. And um, by the way, I, I skipped over the part where he gave us a wedding present and let us stay in Tahiti for an extra couple of days. And, um, and then, then completely like, <laughs> like, like, what's the word I'm even, what's the word I'm using? Is it gaslighting Henry? Um, where mm-hmm. he made me, he made me feel like I didn't do a good job on the show because I was too focused on Margaret, on my, on my wife at my, my, my bride who literally we just had gotten married and, um, I'm sorry, we were just engaged. Uh, so he, he made me feel like I didn't do a good enough job. He gave me money, uh, 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 gave us a cash. Which I think though, Mike, you had said though, on that show, you like, he had said at some point that you did a really good job. And then, um, and then he offered you that trip. Yeah. And then you went on that trip. Yep. 
And then when you came back from that trip is when he basically took back everything he said and said he didn't do a good job, which I would say for the audience listening in terms of gaslighting, it could be an example of gaslighting, which at its core, psychologists explain gaslighting as a communication technique in which someone causes you to question your own version of events. For example, you say, wow, the sky is red when you notice the sky is red and a gaslighter would respond, no, it's not. You're crazy. And this then makes you question your own reality. Yep. Which is interesting because you're working in reality TV. (laughs) (laughs) What is reality? Right. We have all been gaslit in this business, right? And and this was- I would think that's an example of it. Would you? I think this is probably the 100%. This is probably the first time that I experienced that, not knowing the term at the time. Boy, yeah, I so, tell you, if we do a therapy session, they'll have a field day with us telling us I know, everything. <laughs> I know, right? Oh my gosh, We're textbook cases over here. Um, very rich in, in content. But very rich in content. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. And so we, I do want to say something else though, Mike. So you yeah. went, you know, he did graciously offer this trip. You went, it was Tahiti, right? You went to Tahiti. We, we were there for production. Um, I, I don't can't remember if he flew Margaret out to be there and stay with us in the hotel or I flew her out. But regardless, he offered uh, us to be able to stay um, in these overwater bungalows like for another four or five days after the production wrapped. So everybody flew home and he set it up so that we could stay an extra four or five days, just the two of us. Which um, is amazing. Part- I will say though, probably in terms of the hotel, the the production probably was able to extend yours out and it probably still covered it. Oh, Which, for sure. I mean, it is still nice though that he offered. No, the, <laughs> I will look, say though, for anybody listening, there may a nice have favor. been like in the budget, they may have figured how to do that though. Right. But 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 regardless, he had to have signed off on it yes. to make to make it happen, and he made it happen. And I definitely right? will, I will give him that. I will say also though, at that point you were married, right? No, we hadn't been married. That was like an okay. engagement gift. That was the engagement gift. Okay, yeah. so then before you went on the road for the series, yeah, did you get married? I did. Between the okay. pilot and the series was when we when I got married. So okay, so the pilot. So let me just kind of. Um, yeah, we're jumping so you, a went, bit. you went and set, told this person that you were engaged before the pilot, the pilot of three wishes happened. And then between the pilot and the series, you got married. So let's just say when you're, let's just talk about, I know we briefly talked about it before, but just for the whole story, when your wedding happened, yeah, there was something that happened there that you were also processing during the production of the series of three wishes. So what did this person, this producer say at your wedding that you found out about? Yeah. So I, I, I found out, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true because this is hearsay, but the word on the street was that at my wedding, which he was a guest at my wedding, our wedding, um, that we wouldn't last my wife and I wouldn't last six months. He said, I give it six months. And that to hear that was just so devastating. And thank you for bringing that up, Henry, because it is, it does, I think, play a role in sort of what was happening after that. Right. Um, You know, in this producer, he made a, made a living on sort of manipulating contestants to do what he needed them to do to get a good show. 
and only kind of like years puppeteering, right? Puppeteering. Where, it's exactly. Yeah. In terms of the wedding that happened at the wedding where you heard that, um, this producer said, you know, this may not last like longer than six months, which then hurts your feelings and devastates you. Cause this is somebody you're looking up to. This is your role model, your mentor. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, and you were told that you could stay in the office for development, but then the rug gets pulled out from underneath you and you're on the road for like months. And not only that, you're on a new show, still breaking the back of the show, which can be really challenging. And you were also part, I thought you were partnered with the person that you had. The, no, they were just on the same. They, uh, they were around, yeah, but so not my, yeah, I had an, an, a guy was actually my partner that I, lobbied for hardcore to make sure he, I had him by my side so that I didn't have this person, this other, the, 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 her by my side, because in, you know, in, in Henry, you know, this, this messed me up because I didn't, I was in, in a new relationship, a new marriage. I didn't know how my wife would handle knowing that information. So I withheld the information. I did not tell her that that this person was on the road with me. I, I felt like that information, if, if she knew that- That this woman would, you had a showmance with years yeah, ago she, was on the road yeah, with you. Yeah, if, 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 if Margaret knew that while that was going on, while she was stuck at home, I just felt like our, our, our marriage would have been over. And, and, and that producer, the producer's prophecy of six months would have been 100% come true. And, and I just don't, and, and so- I, I firmly believe to this day that those little, almost these little saboteur, sabotage moments were set up so that his prophecy could come true. He could fulfill that prophecy of the six month thing. Do you think that in some ways, like, I don't know, unconsciously or consciously was, he was trying to create some sort of a love triangle for you? You know, yeah, I do. I think, I think I became another, another sort of pawn or, or puppet in his sort of game that, that didn't have the cameras rolling. It was like, he, he wanted to see if he could, yeah, create this love triangle and, you know, and watch it explode. And, um, you know, he had the control over everybody and, and by, by sending Ultimately, us because he's, he's signing your paychecks and then sending right. you where he wants you to go. Exactly. You have no say in that. Exactly. And we're all young, by the way, we're all 10 years or more younger than he was. And we're all new to this. We don't, we're not, we just don't have the wherewithal to really like be able to navigate it. You know, sure. We're somewhat, we were mature somewhat for our ages, but like, you don't even know you have rights though. That's the thing. You don't even know that there's any, you, I didn't even know there was labor laws back then. I, I mean, nothing. I, it sounds funny to say, but I really never thought about it. I because didn't we talk, know. Right. Henry, because like you, we said early on in, in one of the earlier episodes, you're just there to work, right? You just want to be in TV and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there and whatever you, whatever you need to do. And if someone says we're working 20 hours, guess what? We're working 20 hours and we're working 31 days in a row. We're working 31 days in a row because we know that there's someone else who would absolutely be willing to do that. And so what, what are we going to do? Call up the labor department of labor and be like, uh, excuse me, they owe me uh, $50 in back pay for an overtime. You know, it's like, no, oh, the producers gonna... union. Oh, wait, that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Which people, by the way, I, I don't know if we said people tried to do that. People ended up doing that and it, it did end up changing some of the, some of the way 
production was done, but those people didn't work for, for a little while after that, after they yeah. made that stink. And that's the other problem is too, you get the fear of like being um, shunned in the, um, in the industry. Yeah. Okay. So you're on the road then. So when you, okay, so all, you had this situation happen to you. How are you feeling right now in terms of your nerves, anxiety, stress, like what's happening? It's all through the roof. Um, the job that I had is, you know, while I was out there, I took over what you and I were doing, where I was sort of the the show mayor, where I would go to business to business and meet all the, you know, go to the chamber of commerce, go to the the mayor's office, go to the, um, you know, the small business and meet everybody uh, in town and get to know them and and really befriend everybody to get them to come out to this wish tent and come out to the concert. And um, so I was the the mouthpiece for for the show. So I was. I loved that part. Again, you know, you got to experience that too, how satisfying that was, right? So in We're the day-to-day- -day, cheerleaders. If you need to hire some cheerleaders, bring on <laughs> Henry and my team. We are good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In the day, so in the day-to-day, -day, I, was, I was awesome. I, I loved every second of it. It was, you know, towards the nights when it was like, I wanted to check in with Margaret and I wanted to, you know, be connected some way. This is before FaceTime. Um, I wanted to- you know, like I said, be connected. Um, that was, that was tough, but what ended up happening in, in the first town that we went to was we didn't have like a traditional AD in the sense of assistant director who like hypes up the crowd. You know, we, we put on this concert, we have this big stage and we have, you know, three, 4,000 people out there who are all here, for, you know, for the event to, to film. So sort of spur of the moment, I get asked to go out on stage and direct the crowd basically to get them to laugh when we want them to get them to clap and cheer and scream. And, you know, while we're getting these B-roll shots and, um, and so I'm Your out there. Skills are most excellent. I must say. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you. So I, and, and I loved it. Right. I, I, I got out there. I was telling jokes. The crowd was laughing. Like I seriously, and as another like life, sometimes it's funny. <laughs> right. And another life, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I never had the courage to do it, but this was like sort of giving me a little taste of that. And so I remember I was out on the stage for probably 30 minutes or so a nice tight 30 minute set. And, uh, <laughs> but I was out there and I walked off the stage and every single person on that crew from Amy Grant to, uh, to the other assistant the directors, the, everybody on the crew, just high-fiving me. Oh my God, that was amazing. You did fantastic. What a great job. You were so amazing. Like it was such a high for me, Henry. I, I like, I'll never forget that feeling. And so I thought I had really done good. Right. So cut to, we get back home. We had a couple days at home, back in the office in between the trips. So we get back, at the, get back to our office. I'm in my office. The, my producer walks in, closes the door behind him, says, Mike, I have to tell you, um, when you were up on stage out there, and here I go, I'm thinking like, he's going he's gonna to congratulate me and, 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 and give me all these accolades and like stroke my ego and make me feel like, like great job. I'm going to get that attaboy, right? He goes, I have to say, you know, you really have to have a better judgment on what you're saying and who you're saying it to. You're telling some of these jokes and some of them, you know, are, are not hitting and, and, you know, you might be offending people. And I just didn't really like that. And, you, you know, you made it, you know, too much about, you know, about you out up there. And, and I think that, you know, I don't want to put you in that position anymore. So, so moving forward, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be the one who goes on stage and talks to the crowd. And oh, I'm going to do that. my goodness. I did not know this part of the story. Are you yeah. kidding me? 
because you are taking the spotlight from him that he wanted it. Yep. Yep. So I, I don't know. I have to have a moment, Mike. I have to have a moment. I can't, we have to, we have to, I have to take this in. Are you kidding me? There's, there's an, there's another part. There's a, there's, well, there's another, yeah, another part that, that is exactly, and I, I hadn't, until we're talking now, I hadn't really lined these up, but there's another one that sticks out too. The next town we went to, I think the next town, it was, I think it was Clovis, New Mexico. Um, Remember we talked about we we would go into the radio stations, we would go into the newspaper, we talked to the newspaper. Well, one of the reporters uh, came to me and wanted to do a story on me as the producer, Mike Hazen, a producer. And what's my story? How did I end up here? How did I get to be in this position where I'm the one going around all these businesses and talking to everybody? And so they asked me my story. So I told them and they're like, like, well, what did you go to college for? And I was like, well, I wanted to be a sitcom writer. That's when I went to school and, and I wanted, I wrote a couple of sitcoms and that's what I wanted to be. And then they're asking me all these personal questions. So the article comes out and, and I'm, and I read it and I was like, and I, everyone's like, Mike, oh my God, it's so cool. You're in the local paper. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, great, great, great. So my producer approaches me, finds me, approaches me with the article in his hand. And he goes, you know, Next time you, something like this comes around, you need to ask me for permission to, to do this. You made the article about you. The article should have been about the show. You, you didn't mention the show once in the article. You, meant, you only talked about yourself. And I'm like, well, they, the, the article was about me. Like I, I, and I think I did talk to them about it. They want to do it. I was going to say, do- I find that hard to believe because, I mean, there probably were the angle was about three wishes coming to town and they probably had to also get people. I mean, you were also, you probably were also in the, okay, I got to get people to the carnival. I have to get people here. (laughs) You were probably directing the content based on what you needed to get them to do your job. And within it, you had filler of your story. The point is, is that after that moment, I was in a position and I knew that there was nothing that I could do that was going to be met with, any sort of positive accolades, right? Everything I did from that moment forward, you know, from, from those moments I, in moving forward, I knew there was going to be some sort of critique or criticism of my actions and what I was doing. I, I was doing somehow, some way I didn't do the right thing. I turned left. Well, you should have turned right. I said, hi, and up. it should have been low. And it was, it, it became like that. And it became a pattern. And I, I was taking inventory of that as I was going, going, okay, these are a bunch of red flags. Now, now it's all starting to add up. I'm starting to see it all come together and I need to figure out what my next step is. And it, like you were stepping on, um, like his ego in terms of taking the limelight away from him, even if it was like a local small paper. I mean, I, I do believe so. I do believe so. I mean, listen, the name, like we, we were, we were, when we were first starting out and we were coming up with the company and building this company, there was, we were deciding what to name the company. Right. And we had come up with all these, you know, names and, and all these different sort of um, metaphors and, you know, allusions to streets that he grew up on and, and just in, in puns off his name in, in ways. And so we had all these different names and ultimately what he ended up settling on was his last name you know, and, and, and that was it. The, the, the company was blah, you know, it was not Mark Burnett, but the re, but he was very into like, well, when people buy a Mark Burnett show, they know it's Mark Burnett, 
right? He was obsessed with that idea that it was the his name because that's there. comparison and that's competing. What goes into then insecurity and your own feeling of um, you know, low self worth and low self esteem, which then makes it then you know difficult to want anybody else to have that kind of light, right. or you know, they kind of want to keep you in that place that you were and not allow you to kind of rise in the ranks. Okay, yeah. so that scenario happened, which I'm really sorry for that experience for you. What happened next? You kind of said you were putting all the red flags together. What yeah. ended up happening? The, the, what, what ended up happening was, um, you know, just little things here and there of, of you know, look, I, I, I booked this or I got us this. It's like, mm, I don't like that. It should be this. And um, we, we, we ended up, you know, pitching some show ideas. You know, this is after we're back from Three Wishes and actually in between. And I would come up, you know, part of my job as development was to come up with these decks, like these pitch decks. I would have graphics and, you know, images and, you know, explain the outline of the show, what it was. And so I remember I, I worked my tail off for, for well, everyone I did, but, but one in particular, I'd worked my tail off and, uh, and we went into the pitch meeting. He told me we went through it in the office and it was great. He loved it. And then we went in the pitch meeting and he takes the deck and he turns it upside down on the table in the pitch meeting with the executives and does not share it with the executives at all. Like does not even show it to them, doesn't give it to them, doesn't do anything, it just has it and then turns it upside down and then it just sits there on the table the entire pitch meeting. And we get up and leave and they go, do you have any materials to, sh to leave behind? No, we don't have anything. Like, what? What do you what? mean we don't have anything? Like I, I spent days, weeks on this, pitch deck that you signed off on that you that we said was was great that lays everything out why would you not leave that behind and it just that was like one of these things it's like why i don't i don't get it there was another moment that was there was that another affecting moment. your like in terms of your own self-worth and your own um doubting a thousand percent a thousand he was what he was doing was he was sucking my creativity out he was giving me this he was taking away my confidence and my mojo and everything that I had felt confident about in my job, which was being creative, being quick witted, being able to, you know, figure things out on, on the fly and, you know, all that stuff. Because every time I, I tried to do something like that, I was turned the other direction and, and sort of the door was slammed in my face. So I got to a point where I just believed it. And I just was like, okay, well, maybe I'm not that good of a producer. Maybe I'm not creative. Maybe I'm not funny. Maybe I'm not talented. Maybe and I'm not a good storyteller. Maybe I'm not a good storyteller. It took me a long time to get out of that, out of that darkness. And, um, you know, after a few crazy moments of me witnessing some craziness and, and I, the, the last, the sort of the, the straw was, um, so three wishes had aired and the ratings were pretty good. And there was talk that NBC was going to pick it up for a bunch more episodes. Well, the, the word on the street was, you know, this producer wanted it to be not the word on the street. He had said he wanted it to be like no less than 20 episodes. And the network was like, we'll give you five more. And he was furious. He did not, he was not happy about that. And so what he asked, he asked me to print out in my office, some glossies, find the executive, uh, the, the network executives, eight by 10 glossies online, print them out on full sheets of paper and bring them to my office. There was like four or five of them. So I, I do it and I bring him to them and he's in his office and I hand him to him. And he goes, thanks. He goes to his bulletin board. He pins them up on the bulletin board, all five of them. 
and then his office was large. Okay. He had an, he had an entire edit bay in his office. He had moved an edit bay into his office so that he could edit and oversee what all the editors were doing, by the way. Okay. So his office is gotta be 40 feet long. His desk is on one side. This bulletin board is on the other. He has a, he has a, a cup full of scissors, full on like large, like, like arts and crafts, like teacher scissors, right? Like six of them in there. Like the ones that would chop, like you would like, like you would chop, chop a fool. Okay. He starts taking the scissors and throwing them at the bulletin board at the heads of the network executives. Like they were darts. Like they were, like they were axes, like ax throwing, like, like across the room and, and just throwing them at the, at the executives. And I'm sitting there looking at him like, Oh, this fool's lost it. And that was the moment, Henry, that I said, I'm done. I walked back to my office. I packed up my stuff and I left. And um, I, I, really? told, I told him, I told him, I can't remember if I told him right then or like later in that, like as I was, after I was leaving or getting all my stuff together, I can't remember the actual goodbye, but I, I made, that was, the, that was the end of it for me. That was the last straw. And I parted my ways with him. I quit. and. I didn't, Wait, I didn't have a job. Was three wishes your last show with him as well? Yeah. We had done a couple pilots while, um, three wishes was airing. I'm having like a kumbaya moment with you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause mine was three wishes, the pilot. Right. 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 Yeah. I get, yeah. I mean, wow. I did not realize that. So that was the end. That was the, end. I mean, we did a couple, like I said, we did a couple pilots in between and, um, and and you didn't. But, that was the last series, though. That was the last series I did, and oh. I I I quit. I quit. I quit television. Oh. I quit television, and and told Margaret. I said, I, I'm done with this. We we need to go and and start our own thing. And I was fighting with my family. I was fight. You know, it was it was just a whole. It was a mess, Henry. It was a mess, and I just wish I had the tools at the time to be able to sort of identify, recognize some of it earlier, and then deal with it better. And part, I don't, I don't blame myself because I was young and I, and I, I didn't know. And the only way you can really know a lot of this stuff is by going through it. But um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Do you feel like you were going through work PTSD? hundred percent, hundred percent for, for many years after, I mean, many years, I, I would say I even have moments. I've had moments in the last, you know, there things, little flare-ups that come up that I have, for sure, you know, ref, take me back to him and those moments. And, um, and, and it's, it sucks, but I'm, I'm, I have the tools now to cope with it. And sort of those moments are, are a lot shorter and I can get through and go, Hey, I have two little girls, two beautiful little girls, you know, we're, I'm still married. I made it past the six months and, you know, and I've got many, many years. <laughs> yeah. I've got, you know, going, we have 16 years and I've got, um, you know, these, these pieces of motivation in my life that allow me to just keep pushing forward and keep doing the, you know, doing the best I can. Well, that's definitely why we want to do the show live and learn to maybe help other people recognize and also, you know, maybe give them some insight and tools, especially that younger generation that are going to be coming up into the workforce. I will say in my own experience, um, of the personal side of three wishes, the pilot, after last week, after we recorded um, the first part of Three Wishes, talking about the production, and I'm all of a sudden going to start crying. 
Oh no, that's okay. I know. I just, yeah. Wow. Um, I what t- happened? You you told I, me something happened, but you haven't shared with me what happened. Ooh, I didn't even expect this, Mike. Um, well, obviously I'm still unpacking and processing and just a lot came up, um, after we finished recording and I, I, um, I went to bed and, uh, as I went to bed, I just, I don't know. I just, I, all of a sudden I just had all these thoughts, like the ruminating thoughts were coming in and it was almost like I was sort of back in that experience. And so I did do a meditation in Reiki and then I was like, okay, let me just go to sleep and I'll, you know, tomorrow morning I'll shift. It'll be great. So then at three in the morning, I woke up, Mike, I had extreme pain in my right elbow, like shooting pain, darting down and up. Mm. I couldn't even move my arm. It was like frozen. And it just was that like hurtful electrical pain. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't, you know, in my own experience, if I hadn't done so much work and gained so much tools, I probably would have called 911 or or got myself like another way to the hospital because my arm was like frozen and it was just pain going up and down my arm. And I recognized, I was like, okay, let me connect to my breath. Let me connect in to see what's going on. And I started doing Reiki energy healing. And as I started doing it and putting my hand on my elbow, I just all of a sudden had all these different flashes of memories that I had suppressed and Mm. For about 10 minutes, I was like in severe pain and all these different memories that were suppressed, repressed, oppressed, you name it in terms of the press, it just was coming up from my arm. And then finally, like, and I had tears just streaming down my face silently. It just, and I think sometimes the silently is just the deeper aspects of the grief where you can't even make like a sound because it's just coming out. And then after about 10 minutes, um, it cleared. And then I was able to move my arm and it was, you know, and I was then able to settle and, you know, go back to sleep. Um, I did like another five minute mindful meditation just to kind of get myself, um, regrounded. And but you knew, but you knew exactly why this was triggered or what triggered yeah, this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I recognized when we got off the, um, when we finished recording the podcast, I was ruminating. I, I, mm. I knew what was going on. And so I'd already did some work. I didn't know to the extent of it until I woke up though at like three in the morning in severe pain. Yeah. Um, and it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was like, and so I do have, you know, a piece that I think I told you I wanted to share. I'm not ready to share it though. I'm not ready to unpack it yet because it hasn't been like fully processed. And I recognize that now through the experience of last week in my arm pain. And so, you know, just, I'm sorry, Henry, that's, that's, that's so tough as, you know, we, we go through these things and sometimes we don't know sort of what's gonna, where it ends up getting buried and when it's going to erect itself or resurrect itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm so sorry that you had to, to go through that. Thanks. And I, I, you know, Mike, I appreciate that. And I think that, you know, also though, this podcast is really helping me in ways that I didn't even know that I needed. So yeah. I'm actually more grateful <laughs> for yeah. you being on that other end with me because yeah. I didn't even know really how much I needed to talk about all this to fully clear to heal. And, you know, you said something just earlier prior to this about how there's still little moments, which 
you know, happens in, in, in terms of work PTSD. And I do want to, you know, quickly take you through something that I found. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're up for it still. Sure. Yeah. Of, so we have, um, there's 22 signs of workplace bullying and mistreatment, if you will. So Mike, if you can keep track of possibly how many you may have experienced while sure. working in TV, I'll tell you at the end, how many I realized I experienced through when I was working in TV. Okay, I'm so gonna keep the, a tally. Go. Keep a tally. Okay, ready. Number one, intimidation. If someone yeah. is constantly, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you don't uh, need to read the definition. <laughs> no brainer. Um, but for those of you who may yeah, want more, <laughs> if someone is constantly trying to force you to do things their way, that's a sign of workplace bully. Whether they are intimidating you because they're in a position of power or they're simply insisting that their opinion is the only one that matters. A coworker who's uninterested in anyone else's thoughts is a problem. Yep. Check. <laughs> Check. Number two, ignoring. Bullies are often sneaky about the ways in which they can harm their victims, and ignoring someone is a tactic that is both effective and easy to deny. After all, they aren't really doing anything to their coworkers. In fact, they're actively not doing anything. If you, sorry, let me just, if your workplace bully is ignoring you in meetings or via email or generally isn't collaborative, their inaction can have plenty of negative impact on you. Check. Number three, condescending. If someone is disrespecting you by talking down, they're guilty of workplace bullying. It's not your imagination. Check, check. Four, constantly changing expectations. Impossible. It's impossible to succeed when your goals aren't clear and a boss or supervisor who either avoids communicating expectations or changes them on a whim is creating a hostile work environment, setting up others to fail as a red flag. Check, 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 check. (laughs) Five lying. You might not be aware of the lies at first, but chances are you'll find out about them. Eventually lies might be personal, someone saying something about you that aren't true, or they could arise in the form of promises that were made to you that your employer never keeps. Hmm. Uh, yep. I wonder if that we're happened, batting a th- We're batting a thousand. Yep. Uh, six, taking credit. If someone is constantly taking credit for your work without giving you any sort of acknowledgement. <laughs> this is a, that's a huge one for me. I, cause I do have an ego when it comes to being creative. Sometimes like I want, I want people to acknowledge, I don't need it to be my idea, but if it is my idea, you better tell, you better give me credit for it. Have you had this happen though? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. TV industry. What? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's easy. So this is a problem that needs to be dealt with immediately. I mean, I love that that's said, but really, okay. Well, a lot of, yeah. A lot, I mean, any sort of like, oh yeah, you just need to go ahead and handle it. Like, come on. Like that's not, that's not really realistic. Like anyway, go on. I feel like that's a podcast later for us to do. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. number seven, talking over you. If you're called to a meeting, generally you deserve the opportunity to ask questions and contribute to the discussion without being constantly interrupted. Sure. It's normal for someone to get excited by one of your incredible ideas occasionally and want to chime in before it's their turn. However, it's not normal if you get cut off all the time. Number eight, gossiping workplace gossip in many forms is par for the course. It's one thing. It's one thing when coworkers are all commiserating about having to stay late to work on a challenging project. It's another thing when they whisper behind your back, make fun of to make fun of them or spread rumors, which that did happen to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Number nine, destructive criticism. Criticism is part of every job, no matter how you no matter how used to it you are. It's never easy. A good coworker or supervisor understands that the best criticism comes with advice on improving and learning from mistakes. 
criticism that only tears someone down and belittles them is a sign of workplace bullying. Mm-hmm. Preach. Ten, <laughs> Ten disrespecting, disrespecting your time. The old saying goes that you should be working to live, not living to work. An environment in which schedules are constantly changing with little to no notice and coworkers are late to or absent from meetings is not a happy one. Your time is valuable and it's important that your supervisor in particular honors that. Well, look, we all know in production that doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Um, number 11, dismissing your concerns. It can be scary to speak up and share your worries. You deserve to have those taken seriously. A boss or coworker who gives you the equivalent of a pat on the head is not someone with your best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Number 12, secrecy. Whether people are keeping you out of the loop about a big project or planning an office get together without you, secrecy isn't kind and it's not part of a healthy work environment. Yep. Number 13, lack of support. A strong leader is willing to find ways to support the people who report to them. If you seek additional guidance or resources at your workplace and really or never get the support, that might be a sign of workplace bullying. Number 14, humiliation. Some signs of bullying are super obvious and being humiliated is one of them. This can take the form of being yelled at in a meeting or being a victim of a practical joke that you don't think is funny. You don't have to tolerate this. Okay, 15, favoritism. Just like bullying, the phenomenon of teacher's pet continues into adulthood. It's normal for your boss to have stronger connections with some employees than others, but it's not fair for them to show preferential treatment to the point of excluding you. Mm -hmm. 16 removal of duties if you find that your work duties are dwindling without any prior discussion that may be maybe a sign that you're being bullied and getting phased out you go to work to work insist that you get it you get to do that isn't that interesting because you just said that you had a few removal of duties yeah i did yeah. and recently too by the way more more recent more late, later in my career too uh, number 17 unwelcome sexual advances this is another no-brainer, or is it? Sometimes workers who come face-to-face -face with unwanted sexual advances are so taken aback that it's hard to process what's happening. I will admit, yes, that is so true. Trust your instincts. If you think somebody, if you think someone sexually harassed you, you're probably right. Number 18, blocking promotions. Preventing you from getting a promotion by either refusing to submit you for a role you're qualified for or by withholding information from you that might have helped you advance your career is a sign that someone doesn't have your best interests at heart. Number 19, making fun of you. Is it friendly teasing or is that coworker making fun of you? That's another sign of workplace bullying that you should trust your instincts on. If you feel someone is attempting to undermine your authority or make you appear less competent, that's not friendly. It's bullying. And number 20, gaslighting. When gaslighting occurs, you start doubting whether the challenges you're experiencing are real and start to believe that you're the problem. Gaslighting can affect your self-worth and your ability to trust yourself. Yeah. And then number 21, physical violence. Physical violence in the workplace is somewhat rarer than other instances described, but it does happen. At the first sign of physical violence, it's time to take action to protect yourself. So, Mike, what is your tally? Uh, I had, um, I, there was only two that I didn't have. So I had, let's see, there were, how many were there? Twenty-two or twenty-one? Twenty-one. Yeah, so I had nineteen of them. Um, the one I didn't have, I didn't have violence. Like I think you said, you didn't have violence, and then I had never experienced sexual harassment from a from a higher up, from somebody sort of like holding that over me. I think for men, it's a little bit more difficult to to deal to experience that, especially 
in the time that we were coming up and doing this where, you know, women had, didn't have a lot of power to begin with. So it was the men who were really, you know, sort of ruling with an iron fist. Yeah. So that's still though, I mean, 19 out of 21 you experienced (laughs) and my number is, so I didn't also experience 21, which is the physical violence. And that's the only one I didn't experience. I have experienced various forms of 20 out of 21. You know what's interesting, Henry? I'd be interested to know because, look, we're in product. We were we worked in production. Production. A lot of the rules just didn't apply, right? Um, I would be interested to hear some of our listeners. This would be a great like poll question, and maybe we even subclip this this survey out and use it for something else. Um, but I would be curious to hear what our listeners who work in other industries, how many they actually experienced, and if it's as high as as ours. I think I'd be surprised if it was, but also at the same time, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if it if if it was was as high. Yeah, I would be interested too. I think we should definitely do that as a poll um, to yeah. get the data. So okay, so now wrapping up um, in terms of the live and learn, high and low, the lessons learned. So what is what did you learn? What was the high, the low? And did you grow from the low? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's pretty clear that I did grow from it all. Um, I mean, obviously, I, the guy is working with me and meeting me. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, because here obviously. we are reunited. And it feels- obviously, obviously. <laughs> and I think that you know, with with all of it, it's just get the the highs were what we talked about last, you know, in the last episode, which was just the actual work of it all, right? The things that we got to do, the the experiences, the working with the regular, you know, meeting normal people and and just connecting with them. I think that's always going to be the high, bringing joy well, to people. I also allowing yourself to do that 30 minute on stage and and getting a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was that was certainly a moment that I'll never forget and I haven't I haven't forgotten about it. Um but, you know, in the lows obviously were just I think the biggest low for me was through that series like keeping that secret from from margaret like knowing that i wasn't being truthful even you know the idea of of lying by by omission you know i i i to this day i just it 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 rips me up inside that i kept that from her um but i honestly don't know if we were strong we would have been strong enough at that early in our relationship to be able to have survived it you know yeah honestly henry talking about it tonight is has been it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a long one. I'll just say my high. How about was you? Def- yeah, my high was definitely. Um, I mean, honestly, I loved. I loved helping people make their wishes come true. I mean, that was definitely my high. Seeing uh, Abby Castleberry and her family get the help. That was incredible. Um, watching a community, a high school, a football team. And all the other teams receive this incredible million dollar field turf. That was amazing. And I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, I just think like, wow, they have that to this day, all these years later, we left something in that town. Like how awesome is that? And we were making a television show. Like that is the (laughs) coolest, I think. And yeah, I mean, and then I just think, you know, just seeing people coming together and bringing them together in really difficult situations and, and bringing that inspiration and hope. I mean, that's priceless. Um, and I think the low for me really was those experiences that I had that I kind of had to outwit 
outmatch and my survivor, if you will. And I think you and I both share a lot of street smarts. And so I recognized that the signs were there and things were changing. And it was really sad for me because, you know, all of you on that, like on those shows, the Average Joe series and the Three Wishes, I just felt like we were in this bubble and I felt like I'd found my people. I felt like I found my people and I could just see us like producing for years and years to come and, and, you know, and, you know, celebrating each other's like successes, you know, whether it's, you know, weddings and births and all that. And, and I just was so excited to kind of find my place in the industry and my people and the belonging. And so it was a real low when I realized halfway through the pilot that things had shifted and the bubble had bursted and I needed to, um, I need to switch gears and find other production companies and work with other people because things were changing and it, it didn't seem like a beneficial place for me at that time. Um, I will say though, the low turned into a high because I got onto Biggest Loser after that. And I just was so inspired by watching people, you know, just wanting to make changes in their life in a different way. And I just then was inspired and I had enough confidence to those experiences with everybody on Average Joe and Three Wishes and some other shows that we did, it just gave me the experience and the confidence as a producer. And so from then on, I kind of just went from production company to production company, network to network. And my resume ended up having all these different companies and networks. And it ended up being really great for me because I had such a wide variety of shows as well as production companies and experiences with networks that it just helped me as the industry changes, you know, they look for different things. They, they want to know that you can work on a game show or a talk show or, you know, a dating show or a, you know, a, a docu series. And I didn't, without realizing it, I was cultivating all of that. So that's really how it turned. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. So one other, that's, that's, Awesome. And I share, I share that. I think that's, you know, we both had these sort of checkerboarded resumes of different shows and companies. But one thing I will say that, that, that gratitude, a piece of gratitude is the people that we worked with on those for those first few years, we still talk to, I would say, you know, the, the, that producing team, we talked to 95% of them to this day. Yeah. And it was, and it was almost like a like a like a sorority or fraternity. It was like your your pledge class. And shout out to all of them. We're not going to name all their names, but but there's we about love you. but there's about six of them who you know still keep in touch with, and they're just such solid good people. And I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for them. I feel like in some ways they were our protective nest. And they really help us, you know, fly out of that nest, if you will. And they encouraged us to do so. So I'm definitely grateful yeah. for them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, oh, I think we're, we're, we're in a good place and we should wrap it up, Mike. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, Henry, uh, <laughs> what do we, we got one more episode in us. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Join us next week as we continue to dive into that real and reality TV Please connect and follow us on our social media and please share our podcast. Yes. The sharing is, is caring, right? If you have any questions that you want answered comments, if you want to dig deeper in anything, hit me in the DMS. Uh, if you know my number, call me, text me. I'm on Instagram 
we're all we're all on Instagram. The show's on Instagram. Uh, our Instagram for the show is at Live and Learn Show. That's both Facebook and Instagram at Live and Learn Show. And then my personal is Mike Hazen Realtor on both Instagram and Facebook. Henry, how about you? You can find me here, Instagram and Facebook at inspiringyou.co. And here is our disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes. Please consult with your health practitioner if you have a medical condition. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Mikey.